Dan Weederer, on-air contributor for 670 The Score. You're going to be relying on a lot of young players, guys that have to materialize into who they thought they were. The Bears are who we thought they were. When either they drafted them or guys that they believe in that were already here, that's guys like Justin Fields. Bears beat reporter and enterprise writer for the Chicago Tribune. We'll mention this mainly because Chicago Tribune writer Dan Weederer said we would mention this nugget. I leave here tonight just thinking that maybe this was just a timely reminder that this team isn't there yet, and they're a long way from there yet, and this climb is really steep. Dan Wiederer. Get your track shoes on. With Bernstein and Holmes on 670 The Score. There's always Bears news to be had, and we woke up to some today. Dan Wiederer is here to talk about that and more. He is on Twitter at Dan Wiederer, co-host of the Take the North podcast, Bears Beat reporter for the Tribune, is on the Score Hotline presented by Circa Sports Illinois and twitch.tv slash Chicago 670 The Score. Hey, Dan, how are you? I'm good. Our uh, first big development in a season full or an off season full of, of big developments and uh, away we go. Right. So so what have people told you about Shane Waldron? What do we need to know about him? Yeah, I, I think what you hear is, you know, and I, I always in these initial stages of getting to know a new coach, try to put up the resistance to just fully drinking the jug of optimism and hope filled vision that's out there, because a lot of these people tend to sound the same when you first meet them. And then you have to let a couple of seasons worth of work um, define who they are in their current role. I think what Shane brings to the table, as you hear people talk about his energy, his ability to teach his creativity, the bears certainly attracted to three seasons of play calling experience, which leaves it as less of a guessing game than they had two years ago when they hired Luke Getze. Um, Obviously the work that he did with Geno Smith two years ago, pivoting from Russell Wilson to Geno Smith in Seattle and and being able to unlock some things. And Geno Smith is very impressive. Um, Source this morning told me, go back and watch uh, the two games that Drew Locke had to start in December. I think it was December uh, when Geno Smith was out. And they're they're not going to blow you away in terms of the the productivity of the Seattle offense. But the fact that they were able to, on a Monday night stage, win a game late with Drew Locke as their quarterback, taking them down the field for a game-winning drive was notable uh, to this person. And so um, it will be very, very interesting to kind of see how the Bears frame this when they have a a formal chance to introduce them. It's funny that you say a couple seasons because that's what Bears offensive coordinators last. (laughs) (laughs) That's, I mean, we're, we're, that's just true. And it's somebody I've met, I've met a few of them. I know you, yes, you know them, but that's, that's usually how long they get to prove whatever this body of work is. And his resume is, you can't really argue with it. He's he's paid his dues. He seems like a mm-hmm. smart guy. Multiple disciplines, multiple systems, young quarterbacks, old quarterbacks. It's I think he'll look really really smart if they get the quarterback right. And if they don't, right. he'll look really dumb. Uh, yeah. And, and and I'm glad you said that, Dan, because I think that that is like the one thing that has to be the sturdy frame around everything that we talk about this offseason, you know, because I think Bigsy wrote it um, the day that they had the end of season press conference that 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 decision carries the weight of seven of these other decisions. You know what I mean? And, and, and so if you get that right and then you're able to pair him, that quarterback, whoever it is with with this person to unlock their best gifts and, and, and to propel them forward, then everything else will take care of itself. Um, and so that, that is the next part of this process. I'd be very interested to know, and it may take a while to learn uh, what the bears told Shane Waldron about their plans at quarterback, what their current state of mind is at quarterback and how he will be, uh, you know, a, a factor in influencing whichever direction they go here 
over the next three months. What's the significance of the fact that this is another Trace Armstrong client, and now you've got general manager, head coach, and probably the next most important coach on the team who are all represented by the same guy? You know, at, at the, the very least, we can talk about coincidence versus causality, but yeah. this is because I, I just know if this were basketball, it, it, people would be talking about it very differently. Yeah, this isn't uncommon, um, but it's certainly notable, um, you know, where you get these sort of agency related package deals. Uh, I'm not sure if Luke was represented by Trace as well. I think he was. And so, you know, there's a a trend in that regard of of this group kind of sticking together. Um, We'll find out. I mean, I I do think the Bears, you know, went out and and canvassed a, a large section of candidates i think uh nine that we know of that they talked to another one in kellen moore that they weren't allowed to talk to because the chargers blocked it um so you did go out and you you did talk to a lot of different people this is ultimately the the decision you made um and now it's shane's show to, to kind of help uh to help uh navigate you brought it up as far as the decision on quarterback i I think that one of the really interesting things, and maybe we'll get an answer to this down the road maybe we won't i'm just curious about your opinion how how do you think they even went about this? Because because you don't want to show your hand. You don't want anything to leak out about what your plans are. But you also want to give candidates a, a, a full view of what it is that you expect from them. Yeah, Lawrence. So there's eight people who talked to the Bears who didn't get this job. And so over time... <laughs> <laughs> we right. should get a little a little bit of, of of drip from that faucet in terms of what those interviews were like and what the process was. I was fascinated in that from the get-go because I think it is really, really difficult to expect to earn trust from a candidate by hiding your entire hand on something where you're like, ah, oh, just trust us. We've got this. You know, we come come put your uh, career leap of faith in our hands and and we got you. So they had to share something, you know, and you, you have to to whether it's directly saying things or insinuating things or um, just in the, the organic conversation that you have with someone, you have to have a feel for at least the lean, you know, and, and OK, this is the homework we still have left to do. But if this checks out, this is the direction we're going. If it doesn't, this is our, our pivot plan. All of those things. Um, obviously, the Bears are in an advantageous situation here, uh, albeit complex, because they have that number one overall pick and they don't have to rely on any other teams making decisions to influence what they could or might do at the position. They've got it all in their control. Um, and so now, now you're, now you're officially united with a guy in Shane Waldron. And now you should be able to share anything you didn't share in the, in the interview process forwardly. But I, I don't know. I, I just don't know how uh, intricate it got in these conversations with these other uh, eight coordinator candidates. Do you know how far down the road the bears are when it comes to the DC conversations? Yeah, I don't uh, specifically. Obviously, there was uh, Chris Harris was linked uh, over the weekend to this position. Chris, I think, was also working alongside John Hoke. Um, yes. And the Tressman staff. It might have been my first year on the beat, first or second year on the beat. Um, and and so th- that's an interesting name there. I've always kind of felt like that, 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 that one, given that Matt has his fingerprints all over it, would be something where either you could promote from within and then backfill or just find somebody who seamlessly blends in. And so obviously I, I would expect that to accelerate here in the next week to less than that, if, if possible, because that's the other thing that they've got to get short up as they start to get on the road and, and go do all the off season stuff that you do. Yeah. And Harris seems like he would be a good fit. One, he, I mean, he's one of the smartest players that I ever cover. 
And, yeah. and I don't know if you had a lot of interaction with him when he was on the staff, but really smart guy, knows the league, is knows this system, and has never been a play caller, which you don't have to worry about because the HC is is, is being the, the play caller. So I, I think for a guy like him, it's a real great opportunity to – to raise your profile and maybe learn some stuff without having the pressures of, of the in-game calling on your plate. Yeah. And you, and you can groom a young coach in that regard. I didn't have a ton of experience with Chris when he was here. Every time I talked to him, um, very engaging and, and able to communicate in a way that helps you learn something every time you talk to him. And I always have a, a great time with those coaches because, um, they understand that that it's it's helpful to uh, educate the people that uh, that are covering you, and then they can in turn educate the masses, and and all of a sudden people get a little bit smarter about a, a game that is uh, hard to to often uh, get your arms around. You know, there's a lot of things that go into it, so um, we'll see what direction that goes. Uh, I think they're probably relieved now to have the OC situation resolved. And then obviously Shane Waldron with the help of Matt have to go through and they got to get a quarterback's coach. You got to get a receiver's coach, uh, running back's coach, and, and you got to fill out that staff as well. Dan, Dan and I have been talking about how, I mean, you host the take the North podcast yeah. that it looks like taking the North and never giving it back has never been tougher. When you look at the ways that green Bay has gotten to where they've gotten and how Detroit has built itself up, these are different things, different coaches. Is there anything that you think that connects that tissue? Or what do you think the Bears need to learn that maybe they could take from both of those squads as they try to build themselves up? Yeah, I, well, first of all, I wouldn't say it's never been tougher because that 15-year run that Aaron Rodgers had up there made it really tough uh, for, for anyone to kind of wedge their way in the door and get there. It really impressive what the Lions are doing. And I had some conversations back in the summer um, with people that saw that thing coming together and said, don't drink one drop of the, oh, there's still the Lions uh, rhetoric that's out there because this is just different. And, and, and these are people that were conditioned to expect the worst, seeing some great things emerging with the way that Dan Campbell had built the culture and built the unity and built the belief, which I think is a huge part of what they have going for them and pushing it forward in a way that that was going to produce meaningful results to see what they've done from the middle of last season until right now is it's mind blowing, honestly, um, because you could have pulled the plug on Dan Campbell at one and six in his, you know, second season. and been like, as is just going in the wrong direction, but there was such a, a, a firm conviction between Brad and, and, and Dan and what they wanted to do and how united they were in their vision and their willingness to go through some of the bumps. I think that's, very pertinent to what the bears are doing right now and where they are in the, their, their building of the program. The Packers got hot at the right time. And that's obviously something that, that you like to see. And they've obviously made progress in the development of Jordan Lum. I'm always one of these people that wants to see it for a second season before I fully buy into it. I think that, that Jordan love played really well at the end of the year in a way that, that gave people, uh, a belief that he was emerging in a way that maybe he hasn't quite emerged yet, if that makes sense. Like, I think he's on the upward trajectory, but I think it also has to be backed up by another season to, to, to truly think that, okay, this guy's going to be in, in the pro bowl, all pro conversation every year that he starts for them. Um, but you know, you see that that team could have been on the outside of the playoffs looking in at, at the end of the year, if they don't take care of their business and they 
found ways to, to just do what they did best and do it better than the opponent they were playing against for a given week. Unfortunately, they fell a little bit short on Saturday night and that, uh, that game ending uh, interception was, uh, that was tough to watch because there, it was first down, you know, and that's one of those situa- situational awareness things that I think will stick with Jordan Love for, for the next six months. That Lions, Brad and Dan axis is second only to that of the Chicago Tribune's Bears coverage, I believe. <laughs> Never thought of that. So, is this is it possible when you're talking about starting to get some of the drip 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 from what came out of the interviews from the people who didn't get the job do the do teams ever do you know if they ever sign NDAs I brought this up last week and I wasn't sure what's possible and what's not do they say look that this is you, you've got to put your name on this and we'll we'll sue you if any of this gets out and, it, and we can trace it back to you I have no idea if that's part of the uh, the process. I can look into that. I was told very early in my time covering the league that one of the biggest mistakes that you know high level officials and NFL organizations make is believing that they can keep a secret because mm. this is a a giant junior high lunchroom where yep. people talk all the time and and so sometimes people spend way too much time and effort trying to to bottle up a secret that's ultimately going to get out. And so you better just understand that, you know, your business is going to be someone else's business really quickly. And and you better just (laughs) be prepared for that in a way that that helps you not uh, look foolish when that that kind of stuff does seep out. In large part because of just a handful of agents, especially like we were just talking around it before. You've got so many, so few power brokers here. Who, who are like, this yeah. job's going to be open and you don't, don't take this job yet because you might want this one. He's going to be here. He's going to be here. I mean, the people who really have all the knowledge are what, there maybe you know, five, six, seven guys who know every team's business. It's, it's it's agents and then it's it's, you know, coaches that turn over and go to a new city every two to three years. I remember really early on. You know, Rich Campbell and I started on the beat on the exact same day. And there was a point in either our first season or our first off season where we're like, man, Biggs knows someone at like literally every single NFC team and and probably, you know, 12 of the, the 16 AFC teams. And you traced it and 92% of them had been people that had been through Hallis Hall at one point or another and then branched out for various reasons. And so that's kind of the web that works in this league. It's a, a, a small group of people that kind of switch into a lot of different roles in a lot of different organizations and cities. And so when when uh, when that happens, you know, you, you can get tapped into a lot of different places really quickly and and, um, you know, get get a good feel for a lot of things that go on inside the league. Are you going to go travel to the NFC championship game? I will not be. No. Okay. Uh, All right. Well, great. That that leads to my follow up question then. Okay. I know that you're going to watch it because you're Mr. Football guy, but yeah. I'm curious now that you don't have to worry about covering a game every week and the the goings on at Hallis Hall you've got, but you've got that under control. I'm curious on what is it that you want to see now that you've got some time when you're watching Caleb Williams or Jaden Daniels or Drake May tape. But why don't we just, for, for this week, let's just stick with Caleb Williams. What are the things that you're hoping to figure out in a tape analysis and in phone calls and text messages from people that know Caleb? So, and I wrote a little bit of this in week 18, that that, that part of the Caleb Williams valuation is, it's so easy. I mean, the dude has talent and high-level feel and high-level quarterback instincts that 
that isn't going to be a speed bump for most teams that are evaluating him. It's all about kind of some of the things that Ryan talked about a, a week and a half ago is just understanding the wiring and the DNA and, and the priorities and the ability to um, withstand what is going to be a, a really bright and hot spotlight here in a major media market. And so my work on Caleb Williams probably over the next couple of months will be trying to get a lot more information on that in terms of the, the wiring and who he is and, and, and what is there that leads you to believe that he can handle this. Because you guys know as well as anyone that this is a, a real roller coaster, particularly in this city at this position. And so you want to know that a guy's got the disposition and the, you know, the tough stomach and, and all the things to handle that. So for me, that's it. Because, Lawrence, I mean, I don't know how much you've watched him but you go through some of it and you're just like okay like my questions are minimal in terms of the, the 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 player and the ability and the things that are there because you just see the traits that 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 you need to see to, to play this position at the highest level all right cool like I'm trying to figure out what he is and who he is and the forensic accounting and all mm. the other stuff to to go on with it dan thanks for the time we appreciate it you got it uh enjoy this week i did you guys got a super bowl pick I'm still stuck, man. I honestly, I'm really stuck because I think that the way that Lamar gets down might cause some of the same problems as Josh Allen yesterday. But the, the strange thing about Lamar and in watching him over the last like five weeks of the season, he doesn't take as many hits as you would think that he takes. Josh Allen is looking to. He, he's looking yeah. for the contact. Yeah. Like he's, I'm going to put my shoulder pad in your chest and run you over. It's just so hard to bet against Patrick Mahomes. Like, it, no matter I, what. It's, it's ridiculous, right? I know it's, it's ridiculous. And his down year, you're still just like, and that's that like Jordan-esque belief factor that we lived from the other side at one point where you just, you just, you just know he's going to win in the end, even when he's not playing great. And it's, it's hard to pick against him. But I am actually, I think I'm going Ravens and, and 49ers. Okay. There you have it. Dan Waiter, thank you. All right, CFLs. When we return, I was focused, uh, as I have been increasingly, on a position of extreme need for the Bears and what some of these offenses have in common, regardless of what they're doing well. Let's do that next on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes, your midday destination for Chicago sports talk on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Inside the 22, second down, long nine. We have the Chiefs in the shotgun moving from left to right. Mahomes looks at a four-man front. Arms outstretched, shotgun snap, running back block. Mahomes winds up, one pass, far side, backpedaling, spinning touchdown catch at the goal line. Kelsey, he could not have been more wide open. A touchdown reception by the spinning all-pro tight end of 21 yards. And the Chiefs have taken their first lead tonight. Three and a half to play in the half. It's a man with a lot of Chiefs history. Kevin Harlan, the unmistakable, legendary sound of a Kevin Harlan playoff football call. So good. So, so good. So I was... I have been mindful, as you know, of late, as I probably should always be, and with with all apologies to our colleague Olin Krutz, who, if you follow him on Twitter, you know he's always watching this if you are not. I've been really mindful of center play. And centers were really important. One of them was shirtless and drunk, 
and screaming. And, and maybe retired. And maybe retired and, and was picking up a little girl and bringing the little girl over to the booth to wave at Taylor Swift. And, he, I mean, an absolute man of the people doing shots with Bill's Mafia out of a bowling ball. Is that what that was? I think so. I mean, I've seen the shot ski before. I've never seen the bowling ball shot, but he was uh, living his best life. I don't think I could hang, man. I, I, no. I don't no, think there's that no that's way. no, 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 no. That's that's a that's a professional right there. Like in more ways than just a just a a a professional football player. Therefore, built different. No, no, no. <laughs> I don't mean with Jason Kelsey. I mean with Bill's Mafia. Oh, okay. I actually, I actually think with how could I word this? My experience covering and working with football players. I don't have any question about my ability to hang in social situations with football players, okay? I'm talking about that scene. I don't know if I like if if I could handle like the sensory overload of that scene. There's a lot going on there. There's people going through tables, the man set on fire, someone got killed with a trident. Like all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, you can't have you know, George rolling up on his scooter. Right. For Bill's mom. For our pro wrestling fans, it's like the ECW of fandom. Like yes. the hardcore of the hardcore. I cannot believe they're doing this. Tommy Dreamer's out there with a kendo stick. That that's what Bill's Mafia is. I don't know if I I don't know if I would find it enjoyable. Things are on fire and people are breaking yes. tables. Yeah. They're yeah, they're doing wrestling moves. And, and there was break. there was one table this weekend that they were struggling to break. Well, then you might want to just stop. But they won't. Can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> well, the well, other- and have you guys seen this feed the pit thing they do now? Feed the pit? So apparently there's this pit where the new stadium is supposedly being built. Ah, yeah. And so it's just uh, an empty pit right now. That's where we were at pit. <laughs> we had them in the building. And, and supposedly during this winning streak they were on, Every like someone would sacrifice themselves by quote falling into the pit, like the sarlacc. Yeah, pit? so it's like they were sacrificially offering up somebody to the pit. That's that is great. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. Yeah, that, that's, that's really great. great. Anyway, you were making anyway, a more important point my, about center play. My point was when you have Frank Ragnow, when you have Tyler Linderbaum, when you have Creed Humphrey, they're so taken for granted it's incredible if just what the distances that some of these guys are running in completely different offenses i watched a detroit offense that had nothing but wide formations and in breaking route trees Mm -hmm. because that's where golf is at his best Goff has a great sense for those windows against man, against zone, layered throws, timed throws. He's really good at it. So everything was in-breaking, in-breaking, in-breaking. And there in the middle, anchoring it all, is Ragnow. And at the goal line, with an already badly sprained ankle, that's the guy single-handedly knocking Vita Vea out of the way. He's giving up 50 pounds minimum, but because of leverage and low pad level and speed. And scheme. And scheme and angles. Everything it has to be exactly right. 
for him to knock that monster out of the way. And he did. And he got rolled up on again on that play. Then here's Linderbaum. This guy, they have him moving, pulling, sliding, hitting one guy coming off and hitting another. And how many times is he at the second level on some of those planned quarterback runs? And when we were, you know, Jason Kelsey before his retirement, like the importance of that guy kind of knowing, like his athleticism, like we saw like athletic center play. The reach blocks. Yes, like we saw all sorts of stuff. You know what's funny? Coming into covering the Bears, and at that point, I think Olin was like five years in, so he was like a fully established player. Like you realize how good he is, what... I don't think I realized until much later in covering the team was how he's a canary in the coal mine a little bit. Get me a super athletic center. And remember, one of the one of the things that people would say about Olin, well, well, he's he's really strong, but he's undersized. Well, he made up for that with with anger, with technique which he doesn't get a lot of credit for, but deserves credit for. And athleticism, like some of the stuff that he was able to do. And, smarts. Yeah. And, and just knowing every angle, knowing the opponent, the jujitsu stuff in there. And, and let me just say one more thing, too. I want to mention specifically Creed Humphrey. And, and con- members of Creed Humphrey. And, and contrast what we saw the Chiefs doing with what the Lions were doing. Where the Lions were working outside in, the Chiefs do the opposite reduced formations, outward-breaking stuff. It so was it's like a flower blooming. Everything blooming outward, the bomb burst. It was If you just glanced at it, if you just sort of squinted at what they would do or, or diagrammed it, yeah, you would see like the upside-down Atari symbol, mm-hmm. which was very different. But there's that center. There's Humphrey. He's remarkable. And, and when you saw... Mahomes able, we can talk about him climbing the pocket all day. Why can he climb the pocket? Because Humphreys either pushed his guy past the line of scrimmage or gave him a window to run up or slide up. And and he's reading where that is to understand the angle at which he can find a place to to get that throw off. The dude is unbelievable. I am am going to be hyper-focused on the Bears' plans at center. Until I don't have to be anymore. As you should be, Dan, because they they found three guys who have a C n- next to their name for the position, and none of them could play yeah, the they position. Were, they were all bad. You Cody know, Whitehair used to be good. Yeah, but I, I'll give him some grace because what he's been asked to do from the moment he was a bear, I think has been incredibly unfair. Can you cover all of these positions on the offensive line for us? Well, it's kept I, him employed. I guess it I ha- can do that. It has kept him employed. But then you get to, we really need a center, and you're the smartest guy that we have, so we're going to put you there because we've got other positions filled. Okay, but now I I can't snap the ball. I'm uncomfortable snapping the ball. So then you put in the guy that's a little bit more comfortable snapping the ball, but he's not good at hitting anybody. He's getting pancaked himself and run around and run through. And then you end up with Freeney out there, Feeney out there, and he's no good at anything. (laughs) 
No disrespect. Except for the mullet. It, he does have a decent mullet. Yeah, he's got the gourmet mullet, which is great. You're right. Like, I think that Bears fans have been made acutely aware this season how important it is. And when you look around football itself, like, I think the only thing standing in the way of Alabama beating Michigan. Yeah, all roads lead back to Alabama. No, I'm just, I'm put, it's a data point. He was terrible. And he said it too. Saban said it. He should have gotten his, his, his bad center out of there. Yes. And that's one of the reasons that he kind of knew it was time to go. And you look around and you see the, the growth of Jalen Hurts and that connection with Jason Kelsey. It makes a world of difference when the quarterback can trust the guy who's immediately in front of him. And that that's the guy making your protection yes. calls. That, that's the guy in charge of saying, what do we have here? Okay, the huddle's broken. I'm looking around, and the quarterback knows that the first set of eyes saying 52's the mic. We're moving. Okay. They're, 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 looks, Rio, Rio, Rio. Looks like single high, but it's probably not single high because they're going to roll it back. What the beautiful thing about that is, and Ray, can we see if we can get Olin on this week? So we can actually have like a, a, a really intelligent conversation about this. The thing about it is if you have a center that can make your quarterback right, where the guys like you're talking about, Creed Humphreys and Jason Kelsey and Frank Ragnow, those guys, if the quarterback calls a protection and the center's like, uh-uh, that's not what we're doing because of whatever, whatever it is that they see, it's so valuable because it means the play's not going to die. Someone else who sometimes has a better view of it or perspective on it or, or an understanding of how you're about to be attacked can step in. That, like, not having that, like, it, it, it makes a huge difference in the effectiveness and the development of a quarterback. Which game was it where it took the Bears like ten plays to score from the one? It, was it the <laughs> was it the second Detroit game? What, whatever it was, that that just that, or was it the Falcons just game? Pulling, yeah, I think it was the Falcons game. Falcons game. They're like, come on, just score, just. That's where you think that if you had an interior line where you could just be like. It's enough already. Stop screwing around and have some fat guys that can push the other fat guys back. Yes. Please. It's not too much to ask. Texter says, he was a center in all caps. He was a center in college. Why are we just making excuses for white hair? Because he was playing tackle mostly. And then he was asked to play guard. And playing center is really difficult to do. And shotgun snaps... I know that you think that you could do it in your backyard. Not as easy to do when there's someone bearing down on you. It's yeah. The, it was the Cleveland game after the Eddie Jackson interception. What we're Thank talking you. about is a skill. Like it. That's the point that Dan's making. The importance of having someone with the requisite skill to play center. The fact that you you were doing it at a lower level a little bit doesn't equal being high level at it at the pro level. I know and you, stop texting us in caps. You had a collection of crazy quarterbacking numbers you wanted to share. Yes, I have stats on 
both of the guys participating in that heavyweight rock fight last night that I think people will find interesting. I will share those with you next on The Score. You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score. Every time I go up against Josh, I know that it's going to come down to the end just because of the competitor that he is and the player that he is. Same when I go up against Joe, when I go up against Lamar, all these guys. And I know how, how much fire they have, and they're not going to give up to the very end. And you appreciate that stuff. I mean, these are the games I watched growing up. The great quarterbacks going up against each other with great football teams, great organizations. That's what I remember is hopefully we're making those memories for other little kids that are growing up watching football. Patrick Mahomes you know talking that about the, the matchup with him and Josh Allen yesterday. I I don't think that as a fan of football, you could have gotten any more from those guys. They were continuing to make plays, and you do feel for Josh Allen a little bit because he's he's got to be out there like James Brown. Like, I can't do no more. Like, is someone going to help me out? How can we stop this guy from doing this, coming into our house and continuing to do this stuff? I'm sure he's got questions, but I have crazy stats for you on one Patrick Mahomes and on Josh Allen. Okay. All right, Dan, you ready for this? I am ready. This is a tweet from Rainy Gizerly. Yeah. Okay? Ronnie Gizerly. Ronnie. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes has now played 16 postseason games. So until a couple years ago, a full season of postseason games. This is his line. 13 and 3. 4,561 pass yards, completion percentage of 67, 38 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, add in 443 rushing yards, and 5 rushing TDs. His passer rating, 106.7, which is great. The last 10 non-Mahomes quarterbacks to win the MVP award, their average is... 13 and 3, 4,330 yards passing, 67% completion rate, 40 touchdowns, six and a half interceptions, 276 rushing yards, three touchdowns. In the playoffs, Patrick Mahomes plays at an MVP level. And you always talk about this when it comes to choke and clutch. Where clutch are you is, able to be yourself are in you the biggest yourself moments? in the biggest moments? And I think that there's enough. Games played here to say, yes, Patrick Mahomes is himself when he is in the playoffs. And the best game we've ever seen him play was a loss. I still, like that game against Tampa where he ran for 500 yards back and forth trying to get away from people and the throws that he made in that game. throws, impossible once-in-a-lifetime throws. Hitting guys in the helmet in the end zone. Where opponents were talking were talking amongst themselves, going, oh, my God. Yeah, because he's, he's parallel to the ground, and he makes a throw 30 yards down the field through traffic that hits his player in the helmet, and the guy doesn't catch it, which also plays into these crazy stats about Josh Allen. Josh Allen has started 104 games in the regular and postseason. Last night was the fourth game in his career in which he did not produce a single 20-yard play. Wow. Now, he was helped in doing that by guys dropping the ball that was put right into their hands. 
when you're watching both guys with with Mahomes, it's everything because he's just the he's just a perfect quarterback. When I'm watching Josh Allen, it is the sheer power of what he does. Their smoothness too, and you saw it play out when he was he did this twice. One time he did it in lateral, which I thought was super cool, and the other time he did it where he got got out into space. The defender comes up to attack him, and then he made a throw, a legal forward pass. But the other time, the time earlier in the game, he understood like where he was, knew that he had a player that was right behind him, makes the lateral, and it's a really smart play. But the, when I would love to just you want you want Pro Bowl stuff, mm-hmm. you want to do some fun stuff for the Pro Bowl. I just want to watch Josh Allen throw the ball as far as he can. That's all I want. Kyle Bowler? Yes. I, I <laughs> the want Kyle I, Bowler Memorial. I want I want a drop back throw. I want a a throw with him running to his right. And I want whatever kneel down throw that that he wants to try. You mean from his knees? Yeah. I I whatever he whatever weird thing he wants to try. Where it's like, well, I'm gonna throw, I'm gonna hit the left upright, or I'm gonna hit the cross. I am here for all of it. Just watching him throw the ball is an absolute joy. And then when you watch Mahomes, it's like he what did he run at the combine? A four seven, something like that. He's not fast, but he is functionally. Like he's one of those guys where the stopwatch doesn't tell you how fast he is. He's a creative runner. He also under he plays the he plays the game of I'm on the sideline. Well, you that's what I want, meant. You might want to tackle when me. When I was making the comment that I did to Anthony Heron about he lives on that edge all the time. And it's not predetermined. And when your eyes are downfield and you trust the people around you, it allows you to to sort of be on that, always on that verge. And even when he's past the line of scrimmage, guys still buy a they fake. Buy the, Josh Allen has added that to his game now too. Mahomes ran a four eight forty at the combine. <laughs> okay, that's like a that's a that's a decent like tackle. Yes, that's about as fast as the fastest tackle. And now and now he's he's out there and you see him escape, and then. It's funny to me because you're right. He is always kind of running with his head up. All the eyes are always up, and the head is always turning. And he's so comfortable in that in between. He can live there. It's that. It's like a liminal space where sometimes it's what we kept asking of Fields: run to throw, run to throw, and he could do that. But it's also just you don't want him thinking that. You want him thinking. Do whatever you need to do for, for 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 the football move at the time. It's you know what it's. It reminds me of what I say about Jokic. Mm. It's that this is like true superior preternatural athleticism, where some guys are like is the mechanical quarterbacks. I do this. I do this. I hitch. I do this. I run or I don't. But like like the glory of Jokic, nothing predicts the next move. He can have the ball here. He could pass it behind his head. He could shoot it. He could whip it into the corner. That, that's Jokic and Mahomes have a lot of similarities in that regard. And and jo, th- these guys who you 
don't know because they don't know until they know. Right. When watching the two guys that I think are the amalgam that is Justin Fields, to me, is is Lamar and Allen. Like, he's he's not as big as Allen. He's not as, I, I don't think, as a natural runner as Lamar is. And Lamar does a much better job of not getting hit than Justin does. I think that Justin has got a little bit more of Josh's mentality of, if I have to, I will run through you. I would prefer not to, but if I have to, I will. But when you watch those guys do it at such such a high level and how Josh is like getting better at all of the stuff, which is part of the reason I feel bad for him, I think he's a better quarterback now than he was three years ago. I think that that he has figured out some stuff in his game. But but I watched Lamar, like watching Lamar on Saturday, and he's like, man, he makes people take terrible angles. Like they think they've got him, and he's like, no, you don't. And I'm just gonna go over here now. And it's like, where'd he go? Well, he's over there. Yeah, he he knew he had you beat. Mm-hmm. He he knows when when he's got his sights set on where to make his cut on some of this stuff. And his ability to get down. Notice that Josh got the Justin treatment yesterday, too. <laughs> yeah, he did. Twice. Twice. And and I'm like, come on, you gotta call that. Like, you have to call that. Like, nope, they didn't give a guy enough of a chance to stop himself, I guess. I, I wonder if if you gave an, uh, had an honest moment with Josh, he would think that he's getting, you know, the, the Brittany Griner or the Shaq treatment of, I'm too big to play this position, therefore I don't get these calls because I'm running people over and they think it's unfair. Anyway, I just thought we'd appreciate both of those guys because – there was a lot of joy given to me in watching them play. And this, and Lamar, like, I'm I'm so excited to watch Lamar versus Mahomes. You know what's cool? A bunch of videos have been going around. I, I want to listen to the whole thing. Tom Brady had Lamar on his podcast. And watching Tom Brady be like, yo, man, that stuff that you do is really cool. And I really wish that I could have done, like, a little bit of it. And Lamar being like, you know that stuff that you do? That's also really cool. And I am trying to figure out how to get to where it is you are with that stuff that you do. Like seeing them, like two guys who couldn't be more different, really vibe with each other. And, and the respect that they have for each other's game is really, if you haven't seen it, look it up. Tom Brady and Lamar Jackson, like they, they've been doing this kind of running gag since Tom was in in New England because Lamar would always talk about like, man, like that's the guy. That's what you want to be. And now Tom talks about him like, yo, you got special sauce, man. It's fun to watch. When we come back, the Bears have a defensive coordinator candidate who Lawrence knows very, very well. You probably do, too, if you are a longtime Bears fan. We'll talk about him next on The Score.